before I entered the seminary, uh, I worked at a company and at this company, everybody was complaining about the way that we had to record our timesheets. They had like a system online to do it, but it was very, very slow. Uh, everybody always complained about it. It was very difficult, hard to figure things out. So one staff meeting then, the manager kind of got up in front of everybody and said, good news, in the coming weeks, we're gonna implement a new system that will make it easier for you to submit your timesheets. It'll be easier, kind of it'll be more straightforward, more user-friendly, so we're really happy to announce this. In the following weeks, when they rolled out this new system, everybody complained even more. They found that the system was more complicated than the previous one, more difficult, less straightforward, and there was so much complaining, so much grumbling. We had another staff meeting then, and the manager got up and said, how is everybody enjoying this new system? Isn't it so much easier? Aren't you kind of so grateful that we did this for you? And one of the more experienced people there on the team said to the manager, you know, if this was supposed to make things easy, easier for us, I'd hate to see what you would do if you were trying to make things more difficult or complicated for us. This is kind of what I was thinking when I was reflecting on the gospel today, where Jesus Christ is giving us a teaching about how we relate to the commandments, the law of Moses, the, what the prophets teach in the Old Testament. It seems that Jesus is making things more complicated, more difficult, more almost impossible to follow through with. Jesus in the gospel today tells us that he fulfills the law. What does this mean? If when listening to this gospel, you were confused about how we as followers of Jesus should relate to the law, take heart, you're not alone. Early Christians, early followers of Jesus had a very difficult time understanding or some debate in how they should relate to the law that we find in the Old Testament. Not just the Ten Commandments, but also um, dietary laws, ritual purity laws, which should Christians follow, which should Christians not follow. And in the New Testament, we see that this is a matter of debate. We see on the one hand, people like St. Paul. And St. Paul is very famous for preaching a gospel of freedom. St. Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles, and he famously said essentially that Gentiles can become a part of God's covenant community without circumcision, without following dietary laws, and without following other ritual laws. Some of Paul's followers in the communities and the people at Corinth were famous for this, kind of took things a little far. They heard Paul's gospel of freedom and thought to themselves, well, we're free from everything in the law, including the Ten Commandments. We can go and we can commit adultery, no problem. And Paul, we read in 1 Corinthians, needs to kind of correct them and say like, whoa, 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 take it easy, everybody. Let's rein things in here a little bit. We still need to follow, obviously, the Ten Commandments. In following Christ, we are raised or we kind of have this incredible standard to live up to. So that's kind of one side. And we know also from Paul's letters and the Acts of the Apostles that there were other early Christian leaders who had a more conservative view of the law. These people were oftentimes associated with the Apostle James in Jerusalem. And we know that James and his kind of community there said that Gentiles actually should be circumcised. They should follow ritual purity laws. They should eat certain things and not eat other things. Jesus in the gospel today 
tells us or gives us some indications of how he understands that we relate to the law. And the main message, he says, is that he comes to fulfill the law. And then as he goes on in this gospel, he gives six examples of what this means. We just heard a few in this gospel, but throughout Matthew, Jesus gives six examples. And throughout these examples, we get an understanding of what Jesus means that he, he fulfills the law. There's kind of a debate, again, among scholars about what Jesus means, that he fulfills the law. But I think that um, there's one scholar, Richard France, who gives a good summary of what Jesus is getting at. So I'd just like to kind of summarize four points that he gives, that he argues it means that when Jesus says he fulfills the law, what does that ultimately mean? So there's four points. Point number one, Jesus in saying he fulfills the law puts more stress on interiority. Jesus wants to emphasize our motivations, why we do what we do. Point number two, Jesus in saying he fulfills the law wants to understand better the rationale for the law. Why was it that God commanded a certain thing in the first place and that our actions should be guided by this rationale? Number three, what Jesus emphasizes when he says fulfilling the law, Jesus stresses a lot more, not just on things that we shouldn't do, but the things we should do. And we call these sometimes when we miss out on acts of charity or kindness, a sin of omission. So Jesus certainly wants us to avoid bad behavior, but also wants us to emphasize or be aware of in our life all the good things we should be doing. He wants to emphasize the positive. And the fourth point, according to France, is that Jesus in fulfilling the law shows us ultimately that we cannot do it on our own. Jesus raises a standard that is essentially impossible for human beings to follow. He tells us we need to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. Because of this, Jesus doesn't want us just to give up, but he wants us to realize that we need the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life of following Christ. Jesus then goes on, as I mentioned, into several examples that illustrate ultimately what it means that he fulfills the law. And I'd like to just highlight three of these examples so we can unpack a little bit of what France was saying, this kind of theory of what it means that Christ fulfills the law. In the first example that we heard, Jesus starts with the commandment, you shall not kill, to give us a teaching about anger. And this, I think, is very important for Christians. I think that we as Catholics especially have a hard time with anger. When I was growing up as a kid, I used to play a game that was called Don't Get Angry. And I think maybe this is the way we relate to anger. We just think we cannot get angry. And if we feel angry, we feel guilty about ourselves that we've sinned. Jesus' um, kind of teaching on this is helpful because he shows us ultimately that what we need to be concerned with are our actions, the actions that might flow from anger. Do you think that Jesus ever got angry? I think so. You know, when he goes and cleanses the temple, he seemed a little bit upset, to say the least, right? Feeling angry is natural, it's human. It's the normal response, especially when we see injustice. Feeling angry isn't a sin. What we do with it is important. We can, for example, use our anger to try to work better change, to work for justice, to rectify a situation. That's the way Christ shows us. But Jesus in the gospel today shows us, again, that interiority of the law, the logic of the law. 
We shouldn't allow our anger to lead to maliciousness, to lead to name-calling, to lead to putting people down. So this is one example then where we see Jesus emphasizing the inner rationale of the commandment that you shall not kill, ultimately to teach us an important lesson about anger and how we can kind of respond to this natural human emotion in a Christ-like fashion. The second example, Jesus uses the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, to give us a very important teaching about lust and the dangers of lust. And here we see in the gospel some of the strongest words Jesus uses in the whole New Testament. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, I just want to say, Jesus is using hyperbole here, so please don't do this, okay? You know, Jesus is just, but he's stressing that something here is really important, something we need to pay attention to, that lust is dangerous. And Jesus, I think, emphasizes this so much because lust really is the opposite of love. And love is who God is. And love is what we're called to do as followers of Christ. Love ultimately is when we see the other person as a unique creature, someone special. And when we love that person, we don't try to possess them. We don't try to use them. We try to do actions for their good, to see what is best for that person that we love. That's what love is about. Lust, on the other hand, is when we possess another person, when we see them as just an object for our own gratification, when we no longer see them as their own being created in God's own image. Lust then dehumanizes people. And kind of an image that's helpful for me to think about lust is from Lord of the Rings. You know, that character Golem and the way he relates to that ring, you know, kind of my precious, and he's obsessed with this ring. It twists him. This really is lust, kind of trying to hold on to this object, trying to possess it, and ultimately it twists our loving relationships. So Christ then shows us with these strong words that lust ultimately is something dangerous. It's the interiority of that initial law not to commit adultery, and it's something we need to be aware of and be on guard against. Final example we saw in the gospel has to do with not making false vows, you know. Don't break your vow, they would say in the commandments. And Jesus kind of says something different. He says, don't make vows at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, some of you might know other Christians in other communities, such as Mennonite, a Christian tradition, that take this actually very seriously. They will not, if they're in a court of law, take a vow. And they get special exemption from this. And there's, I think, something quite beautiful in this that they're trying really to follow closely God's teaching, Christ's teaching here. But ultimately what Jesus is getting at is the importance of keeping our word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. God's word ultimately, as we see in the Bible, is reliable. When God says something, God does it. It has an impact. So we see, for example, in the book of Genesis, God says, let there be light and there is light. God's word is faithful. As followers of Jesus, then, we try to imitate this in our own life, to have a word that is believable. The opposite of this, of course, would be like that boy in Never Cry Wolf, right? He complains to the villagers or kind of leads them astray that there's a wolf until ultimately there is a wolf and no one listens to him. We want, then, in our words and actions, Jesus teaches us to follow the example of God and his word, that God's word is reliable.
Ultimately, in these examples, then, we see that Jesus is not trying to make life more difficult for us in the way that he fulfills the law. Jesus is trying to help us to see the rationale of the law, how it leads ultimately to our fulfillment. And Jesus ultimately teaches us that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot do this. Jesus certainly wants us to follow the commandments in the law, but he teaches us that our relationship with Christ is what is most central. And this is something that Pope Francis always loves to emphasize. Commandments are, of course, important, but what is central is our living relationship with Jesus Christ, a person, someone we can relate to personally. Pope Benedict repeated the very same thing in a very beautiful passage from Deus Caritas Est that I would like to just conclude with. It's one of my favorite passages uh, from all his writings, really. So Pope Benedict wrote, Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person which gives life a new horizon and decisive direction.